This program provides education, not advice. Sponsors pay a fee for endorsements and interviews. See the TruthAYF.com disclosure page for details. This is where technology, innovation, and personal finance come together. This is the truth about your future with Rick Edelman. Brought to you by Global X ETFs, dedicated to providing investors with unexplored intelligent solutions, and by Invesco QQQ, a fund that allows you to access the innovators of the NASDAQ 100. Invesco.com slash QQQ. It's Friday, January 6th. Welcome to the podcast. Long show, big show today. Really excited. A great interview with Dr. Ken Dykewald one of the world's leading experts on aging. You're really going to want to hang around and listen to that interview today. Before we get into it, though, I want to talk about a new report that has been produced by Global XETFs. It's their outlook for 2023 and beyond. It's a special report that they published in coordination with the Wall Street Journal. And I'm going to be talking with you about this report over many, many weeks because it's got a huge amount of fabulous content. And it's all in the subject of exponential technologies, also called thematic investing. And I just want to share with you one snippet from GlobalX's Outlook for 2023, personalized medicine. You know, I'm a really big fan of exponential technologies. I created an exponential technologies ETF myself years ago, and my last book, The Truth About Your Future, was all about exponential technologies. My personal portfolio is significantly overweighted in exponential technologies, and I am firmly believing that you should have 20 to 30% of your equity portfolio in exponential technologies. And the first one I want to focus on with you is personalized medicine. This is one of the most important new waves of technology. It's literally going to change and extend your life. Advances in genomic sequencing are leading to an individualized approach to healthcare. We don't even think about it. But really, I want you to take a moment and ponder this. When you take, say, Lipitor, you take what, 10 milligram, 20, 40 milligram? That's the same dosage as millions of other people. But everybody's taking the same drug. In 20 years, we're going to laugh at that archaic approach of this one-size-fits-all. In the future, the pill you take will be a pill that's unique to you. Now, a couple of years ago, I was enrolled in a special study with my physician in a new series of DNA examination where they were looking at my genome and I agreed to participate in this study, and it was absolutely fascinating. It was just a blood test. I mean, from my perspective, it was nothing. All they did was draw blood, like, you know, usual, no big deal. But the study that came back, their analysis of my blood, they evaluated 600 drugs that are commonly prescribed by doctors all over the world. And what this study did was tell me Here's the list of these drugs, 600 of them, and here's how I react to each of these drugs. In other words, the study came back and was basically green, yellow, red. Some of them they said, your doctor will prescribe the drug within these parameters if you ever need it. Go ahead and take it. It'll perform exactly as your doctor hopes. But in other cases, they said, whoa, the normal dosage that doctors typically prescribe for a given drug would have no effect on me. I would need to double or even triple the dose in order to get the pharmacological benefit of this medicine. 
That's not something my doctor would ever know or I would ever know. And you have to wonder how many people are taking prescriptions and not benefiting from it because their own body's unique elements aren't what the scientists have anticipated in their drug studies. So it identified a whole bunch of these drugs where if I ever needed a prescription, I would need to take much more than the routine dosage. And then there were other drugs where they said, don't ever take them. They are toxic to you. You take these drugs, it'll kill you. Well, who would ever know that? And you always hear the stories about, you know, people who have side effects, you know, and, and the unexpected stuff. And it always affects a very small percentage of the population. But you don't want to be among that very small percentage, do you? In fact, one day, this was several years ago, after I participated in this study, I was in the emergency room. I had a kidney stone. And uh, the doc came in and doing the routine thing. And he said, okay, what we're going to do among the other stuff, here's a a drug we want you to take. This will help, you know, deal with the issue. And I said, you know, this drug sounds a little familiar to me. Can you do me a favor? Punch up on my chart this study that's in your files. Now, this ER doc had never even heard of this study. He wasn't my regular physician. He wasn't involved in this study. He didn't know anything about it. He looks at the chart And he sees that the drug he was going to prescribe for me was on my red list. And his reaction was, we're certainly not going to prescribe that drug for you. And so I began to realize this is what personalized medicine is all about. It's absolutely the future. Cutting edge technologies that are going to lead to a wave of patient benefits. We're talking things like early cancer detection, even cures across a range of illnesses. Next generation DNA sequencing is fueling a new cycle in drug discovery. Recent discoveries have led to biopsies that only involve a blood test, no more needles. 20 years ago, sequencing your genome cost $53,000. Today, it costs $1,000. By the end of the decade, it'll be a free app on your cell phone. There are 350 million people worldwide who are walking around with an undiagnosed disease. 75% of the people who have cancer don't even know it, and they won't until they get symptoms. And by then, it is often too late. That means we need early detection. The market for early detection cancer screenings is going to be a $30 billion business. And once you detect that there's an illness in the body, you can start to treat it. We're going to have tailored therapeutics that are going to transform healthcare. Genomics is going to let us go after the root cause of disease, and that's going to help us halt the progression. We're not just talking about cancer. We're also talking about cardiovascular, neurological, respiratory, gastrointestinal diseases. All these therapies are going to consider patient-specific factors, like your individual genes and your lifestyle, a new age of precision medicine, like I described with my visit to the ER. Worldwide sales of cancer therapeutics are going to hit almost $400 billion over the next five years. That's twice today's rate. And we're going to have an 80% success rate in curing those diseases. Not only are there going to be new drugs available to you, you're going to get them in new ways. I'm talking about telemedicine and digital health, online pharmacies, apps on your phone, your watch, your ring. All your wearable devices are going to monitor and analyze your health and send data directly to your doctor. You're already doing this with the latest Apple phone and Apple watch and the Aura ring. Have you got one of those? A million people are wearing them. It tracks your sleep and measures your workouts. 
It tracks your movement, your steps, your heart rate, and recovery. 20 biometric signals in all. Sends the data to an app on your phone. It tells you whether you should push yourself in your exercises or today take it a little bit easy. It can even tell you when you might be getting sick before you even know it. The thing costs 350 bucks. Digital health services are going to grow 18% a year over the next five years. This is why I believe so strongly in investing in exponential technologies and particularly in the biotech and healthcare fields. And at Global X ETFs, they have five ETFs that I really like to provide exposure in this category. The Global X Ag Tech and Food Innovation ETF. The symbol is CROP, K-R-O-P. The Global X Genomics and Biotechnology ETF. The symbol is G-N-O-M. The Global X Telemedicine and Digital Health ETF. The symbol is EDOC. The Global X Aging and Population ETF. Symbol AGNG. And the Global X Health and Fitness ETF. The symbol BFIT. I'm a fan of all of these because I believe in the long term, these technological innovations are going to be matched with massively effective investment potential. You can learn more about this new report that Global X has published with the Wall Street Journal. You can go to the interactive website at chartingdisruption.com. And if you'd like to read the full report, you can get it at globalxetfs.com. And of course, you can learn all about the Global X ETFs that I've just mentioned at their website, globalxetfs.com. And if you're a financial advisor, I encourage you to take a look at these ETFs and consider them for your clients' portfolios. I'm Rick Edelman. When we come back on today's podcast, a fabulous interview with Ken Dykewald, the founder and CEO of AgeWave, one of the world's leading experts on aging. Stay with us. Meet Schwab Intelligent Income, a simple, modern way to pay yourself from your portfolio. Overcome the complexity of income needs in retirement with automated tax-smart withdrawals that you can start, stop, or adjust at any time without penalty, plus ongoing monitoring so you'll always know where you stand. And since lower fees means more money for you to invest, you pay no advisory fee. Available with Schwab Intelligent Portfolios. Visit schwab.com slash intelligent income, a modern approach to wealth management. The Truth About Your Future is sponsored by Global X ETFs. Exponential technologies are transforming the world around us and creating investing opportunities along the way. Artificial intelligence, blockchain, and clean energy are among the breakthroughs shaping new possibilities for the future. But is your portfolio keeping up? Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can invest in these and other disruptive innovations. You're listening to The Truth About Your Future. One of my dear friends, Dr. Ken Dykewald, is the world's leading expert on the science of aging. He's the founder and CEO of AgeWave, and you have heard and seen Ken on this program in the past. Ken has released a study in conjunction with Edward Jones. His study is Longevity and the New Journey of Retirement. So I wanted to bring Ken back to talk about this study, what it is teaching us, what lessons we need to learn from it. My good friend, Dr. Ken Dykewald, psychologist, gerontologist, best-selling author of 
18 books. And I'm just super excited, Ken, to have you back on the show. Welcome back. Always good to see you, Rick. What was it that you wanted to study in this new report? So I have now been working in the field of aging and the study of this process of becoming a grown-up for, believe it or not, for 48 years. I mean, it's astonishing to me. And I was always the 23-year-old, the 25-year-old talking about what happens when people turn 60 or whatever. And and now I'm 72. And um, what I wanted to do in this study was to really kind of turn the soil and to uncover some new insights. And a couple of the things that we went after, we tried to figure out how people are viewing today when they reach their 55th or 60th birthday, how they're viewing this period of life we call retirement compared to the way their parents did. And, you know, we'll go back and forth on a few things, but let me start with this one. Big, not a surprise, but boy, it came out loud and clear that people said that their parents, when they reached their retirement age, they kind of thought they were at the beginning of the end and it was a time to relax and wind things down. Right. Period. Well, yeah. I mean, Ken, we were, you know, you were retiring at 62. You're going to be dead at 65. I mean, that was the way it was. Yeah. And so you have a few years to kind of catch your bearings and have a little time to socialize and maybe travel a little bit. And then it was over. And by the way, you know, something that you've been teaching me for a long time, you didn't need that much money if you're only going to live a few extra years. Right. Now people are saying that it's an entirely new chapter of life. And we asked them, how long would they like their retirement to be? And on average, they said 29 years. Wow. So first of all, and then we also asked them, would you like to live to 100? And just under 70%, 69% of the total respondents, and it was a representative group from across America and Canada. So it wasn't just rich people or poor people or healthy people or sick people. People are now beginning to get this idea that living 90 or 100 years is maybe in their future. And they want to not be working a lot of that time at the end, or at least not working as hard or as full time. Almost 60% of people said, Rick, that they'd like to be working some in retirement, partly because they'll need the extra money. And also because, you know, it might be fun to interact with people and to try some new things at work. Uh, And a little bit like what you and Gene have been doing and Maddie and me too, that Uh, you know, maybe even changing the portfolio around a little bit. So you'll do a little more pro bono and and you try some new things that you might not have done in the core of your career. So the first big aha was, is that there's a brand new version and vision of retirement coming that people are getting to think about a lot more. And they also told us that they don't really know how to prepare. Mm. And that's really the key issue, isn't it? That I have to assume that People are reaching this stage of life with the realization, I never thought I was going to live as long as I now realize I'm going to live. And I don't know what to do with my life post 65, you know, playing golf, that's going to get old pretty quick. So what do I do if I'm going to be alive another 35 years? I, you know, people I think are aimless, aren't they? Well, we organize this work, the work we've been doing with Edward Jones around what we're calling the four pillars. And their finances, health, family, and purpose. And what people said was that they think they know what matters to them and what they're going to do more of in their retirement, which is to spend more time with family. And by the way, they define family different than our parents did is not just your blood relatives, but people who you care about a lot. They become your family. Then they said purpose. 
I don't know how I'm going to figure that out. You know, I've been sort of a bookkeeper. I've been a financial advisor or I've been a physics professor my whole life. I don't know how to become some different version of me. I wish there was a boot camp or a summer camp or a training orientation program to help you find new purpose. And then they said that um, health scares them. On the one hand, they felt that psychologically they were growing stronger, more resilient, more filled with gratitude as they age. So that's counter to the usual portrayal of older people as kind of falling down and can't get up and, you know, just kind of knuckleheads in the corner. They were saying that they felt wiser than they'd ever felt, but really frightened about illness, really frightened about suffering and becoming increasingly aware that it costs a lot of money out of pocket to stay out of institutions and to stay healthy. And last, they gave themselves the lowest grade on their comfortableness and confidence and preparedness for finances. They, 80% of the population basically said they don't have a clue how much they're going to need to go the distance because there's so much that's unpredictable about it, and they could really use some help. And in that part, of course, I know an awful lot about, and that's, I think, why Edward Jones was so interested in helping sponsor your research, because we do know how much they're going to need, and we know they don't have enough saved. Folks, I think, intrinsically know this. I don't have to have a financial plan done to confirm for me what I suspect, that I don't have enough saved because I haven't been saving very much throughout my working career. I haven't been very successful with the investments I have been buying because I don't know what I'm doing. And they're fearful that they're going to quit work in their 60s, living until their 90s or 100s, and not have sufficient amounts of money. On top of which, we hear about Social Security's challenges, pension challenges in the country, on and on and on. So yeah, I'm not at all surprised to hear you say that people are running scared about their personal finances. And there were, there were two other major kind of zones that we went after in this new work. And by the way, the entire study, we've insisted, and Edward Jones has been very generous, the entire study is being made available for free for anyone who wants to read it. And it can be found at edwardjones.com slash new retirement. Simple as that. Edwardjones.com slash new retirement. The second area was, and this is going to sound a little bit uh crazy maybe, but back in the 1970s, uh, I had the good fortune of doing work with a Viennese physician named Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And she's famous now because she crafted these five stages of grief and bereavement. And I thought about Elizabeth's stages for many decades. And I thought, we generally view retirement as like an on-off switch. You're working, Mm -hmm. you're not retired, boom, you're retired. And that's all there is. And I thought, come on, that's pretty simple-minded. It's far more probably of a journey than that. So we reached into these questions and we tried to see if there were, in fact, stages of retirement. And let me tell you what emerged. First, there's a stage we've named anticipation. It's about 10 years before retirement. You might be in your 50s. You're busy with your career. You may be raising your kids. You might be caregiving a parent. You're not really thinking about retirement a lot, but you're beginning to wonder what's going to be around the bend for you in that stage of life. And by the way, in the years 10 to 5 before retirement, people are craving financial guidance and insights. They don't want to wait until the night before. They want to be thinking, okay, what's going to cost? Should I be downshifting my home? 
Should I maybe work another five or 10 years? They're beginning to ask those questions in anticipation of this big new stage of life. The second stage of retirement, the first two to three years after people retire, Rick, and we named it liberation slash disorientation because there was like a schizoid mindset going on. On the one hand, people felt, I made it. I'm free. I can sleep late. I can wear my pajamas all day. I can play golf seven days a week. I can watch the basketball every night of the week. I can do whatever I want. So there was a sense of liberation. But on the other hand, it struck people like, wow, who am I going to talk to during the day? People ask me who I am. What am I going to tell them? What am I going to do for the years ahead? Who do I want to be? Where do I want to live? Who do I want to relate to? Do I have the right friends? What if your friends are still working? They got no time for you. So there's a lot of disorientation that goes on. And by the way, once again, people are saying, did I spend enough time really thinking about my finances? Because all of a sudden now they're they're not getting a paycheck. And I tell you, for those of us who get paychecks every week or every month, to all of a sudden enter into a stage of life where that stops, other than you know government support, it's very psychologically disorienting for people. But then people kind of find their way. And there's this big 15-year period that we call reinvention. And what we saw was that people's actually, their emotional states start to rise. They start to feel like they got this and they find their way. Maybe it's spending more time playing with family. Maybe it's writing a book of poems. Maybe it's learning how to, uh, you know, travel the world. We've got so much freedom now. And people talked about having freedom from for the first time in their life. I don't have to please my parents anymore. I'm a grown-up. And also freedom, too. Hey, if I want to learn how to play guitar, never had time for that, I do now. And then there's a fourth phase, 15 years into retirement. And keep in mind, people here, Rick, are around 80. We named it Reflection Resolution. People are starting to realize that they've lost a loved one, that they're counting the days, summers, years till the end. And there's a desire to leave a legacy. And there's a desire to kind of be your best version of yourself. And even though we often hear about socially isolated older people or poor older people, the predominant portion of our country who are in their later years are feeling not frightened of their lives, but they're feeling a certain fortitude and appreciation for the lives they've lived. And they're smarter than we are because they are separating out the things that didn't go well and more appreciating the people and the circumstances that made their lives special. So there are these four stages that unfold. And we thought that was helpful, even in terms of financial planning. Oh, by the way, one other thing, Rick, I did a focus group with 50 people in Southern California, and they were from all walks of life. And I asked them, when should people start saving for retirement? And so I have 50 people, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different sexual identities. It was a, a full spread of humanity. And I said, okay, raise your hand. I'm going to go in five-year increments, 20 to 25, 25 to 30, 30 to 35, and so on. When should people start saving for retirement? I said, all right, let's start at the beginning. 20 to 25. 
every hand in the room went up. (laughs) And they said, in fact, earlier than that. Right. But as soon as you got anything to start saving and make it automatic, don't cut into it. Don't think of it as sort of a plaything. In a way, it's almost like a science fiction story. Your young you has got to have the mindfulness to not only earn enough money to enjoy your life as a young person, but you have to be funding your older you all along the way. And Rick, you know, you've explained it to me many times that the power of compounding in time can be your greatest asset if you stick to it over the course of a life. And is that the primary advice that you would give to today's younger generations? I'd say four. And then I want to tell you about the four different types of retirees we found. One piece of advice is maybe for our grandparents between pensions and entitlements and GI benefits and such, you didn't have to put so much of the responsibility on yourself. Now it is. Yes. Start saving immediately. You know, and as you've said, birth is probably the best time for your your first year birthday. There should be an account set up. Second, take really good care of your body. We saw in this study, Rick, that people, even with a lot of money who said, oh, you know, I've got all this money, but I'm in pain or I've got cognitive loss or I can't walk anymore. This is no fun at all. I wish I would have taken better care of my body. Third, kind of the old Crosby, Stills and Nash, you know, love the ones you're with. Uh, We get so busy with our careers and money and identity that we sometimes don't cultivate our bonds with people who matter. And that nourishing zone of relationships is even more important as we grow older and pull away from work and school. And last, find a new purpose. You know, maybe in an earlier era, you had one purpose, you figured it out when you were a teenager, and then you tried to do your best at it. But, you know, Rick, as you and I have talked about, and probably a lot of your listeners are thinking about, you might be 65 and thinking about, I want to coach a basketball team, the high school. Or I want to be an entrepreneur, or I want to maybe move to a new neighborhood and make new friends. And so finding new purpose and giving yourself permission to try a few things before you feel like you've got to get it right. That's my advice. When you went through the study, you've identified these four ways, four stages of retirement that you describe. Talk about what life is like in retirement, because I think what you're painting is a very hopeful picture that although it's new and disconcerting because we've never gone through it before, others have gone through it. They've paved an effective path for us. And the future really is bright. Yeah. In fact, this is my favorite part of the research. Again, edwardjones.com slash new retirement for those of you who want to see it in more detail because we're just hitting sort of the highlights. We actually dove down into people who were retired and said, how are they doing? And what we got back as our answer was, well, some were doing well and some were not. And then we could also reverse engineer them to see what they did to get them to how they wound up. So, for example, one segment, about a quarter, we've named the Purposeful Pathfinders. And your listeners may want to think, as Ken goes through these four, which do you want to be or, or which are you? Purposeful Pathfinders started saving earliest of all the retirees. They feel financially secure. 
they uh, are loving their life. They feel like these are the best years of their life and they're trying all kinds of new things. And by the way, they're also very generous. Uh, frankly, Rick, you're a purposeful pathfinder with all your charitable and humanitarian work and all of your interest in trying new things. You and Gene are kind of, you could be the poster boy and girl for purposeful pathfinders. Well, thank you. And they like who they are. They like where they are in life. Mm-hmm. Second, it's a different group. We call them the relaxed traditionalists. They're also doing well, financially secure, feel like they're living their best years, but they have very modest dreams and expectations. It's kind of like yesterday's retirement. They want to relax. They want to play. They want to watch TV. They want to enjoy their grandkids. My feeling is all good, but not a lot of contribution, not a lot of trying new things. Then there's a third group that's not doing so well. They're the challenged but hopefuls. What's their deal? First of all, they're good people. Interesting, caring, got all sorts of big dreams. However, they realized that they didn't save any money. And now they're freaked out in retirement because they don't think they're going to be able to stop working. They don't think they're going to be able to live their dreams. And they probably won't. They're going to have to make a lot of modifications, a lot of trade-offs. And they're feeling a certain sense of disappointment in themselves because they didn't take money seriously enough. The fourth group, which was the largest with 31%, we've named the regretful strugglers. Some of these folks were dealt a bad hand. Someone they loved got sick and they had to leave work to care for them, or they struggle with a health problem, or their job became obsolete. But the preponderance of people who are regretful strugglers just never really took very seriously the idea that they should kind of invest the time and energy to shape a positive retirement. And so they're not happy. They have very little money. They're worried about everything. And they're not looking to live to 100 at all. Um, So we've got the purposeful pathfinders, the relaxed traditionalists, the challenged but hopefuls, and the regretful strugglers. And then, last point on this, it's not just a matter of fait accompli. This is what you turned out. We started talking to people in their 30s and 40s and said to them, which of these groups would you like to be? And pretty well, everybody says, I don't want to wind up a regretful struggler. I'd like to be kind of a maybe a blend between a purposeful pathfinder and a relaxed traditionalist. We said, fine. Then here are some of the steps. And we've outlined them in the report that you can take to get you to the better version of retirement. And that's the first time anybody's done this because most of the work on retirement has either been isolated into one silo, money or housing or health. So to do it in a holistic fashion and then to top it all off, we uh, we talked to people who felt that they were having the grandest time of it in their retirement. And we said to them, what are the lessons you would teach younger people? And they said, Be mindful about money and take it very seriously your whole life. Take great care of your body. Build new friendships because the ones you have, some will move away and some will pass away. And they said, do something important for future generations. If all you're concerned about is in your own self-indulgences, you're not going to be leaving much of a legacy. That's incredibly profound, Ken. Not at all surprising coming from you because it builds on your decades worth of work in this area. What I'm finding most fascinating is that you didn't merely identify these four categories of retirees, 
but you laid out how to avoid being in the one category nobody wants to be in with actionable steps that you can take to make sure your retirement is everything that you would want it to be. So that, you're right, has never been done before. And I think everybody getting a hold of that report is going to find it of tremendous value. Tell us again how people can get access to that for free. I will in 30 seconds. But let me first say, we also saw that life can just sometimes hit people sideways. You know, you can do all the right things and have a heart attack or, you know, you can do all the right things and somebody you love uh, goes through a period of depression or, I mean, so it's not as though you can lock everything down, but it's not all as free floating as a lot of folks think. There's a lot of steps you can take to cause your retirement years to be fantastic. Uh, The study is called Longevity and the New Journey of Retirement. And it's available for free with lots of guidance and advice, no charge, at edwardjones.com slash new retirement. I've read the report. I strongly encourage you to read it as well. You'll find it both insightful as well as actionable and, most importantly, empowering. And that, of course, I think is, Ken Dykewald, your greatest gift to all of us is the empowerment you provide. Dr. Ken Dykewald, the founder and CEO of Age Wave, the world's leading expert on aging. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. I really appreciate it. Always good to see you, my friend. Always good to see you, too. Thanks so much for your interest. Coming up next on the Truth About Your Future podcast, our health and wellness segment with my wife, Jean Edelman. Stay with us. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents of innovation. Ordinary people who shape the future by putting their money behind the right ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Be an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs' risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the prospectus at Invesco.com. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome back to The Truth About Your Future. Every week, my wife, Jean, has her own podcast, Self-Care with Jean Edelman, and we're going to play that for you right here, right now. But you know what? In today's show notes is the link to Jean's podcast. You can catch it Thursdays, a full day earlier than you're listening to it right here. Here's Jean. Great to be with you this week. This week, my word is boundaries. Do you have people in your life that always want to make everybody happy at their own expense? They overcommit, they overstress, they always are compromising what they want over the needs of others. Well, it's a new year and it's time to have some self-reflection and come up with a healthier plan for ourselves. You know what? It's okay to decline an invitation and not feel that we have to make an excuse. 
we can just simply say, I'm sorry, I can't make it, and I wish you a wonderful time. And it's okay to have an opinion that's different from the collective. We could start our sentence with, with all due respect, I think, and fill in the blanks. It's okay to set boundaries with our time and our energy in our day. So here's an action item for the week. Think about an instance where we needed to say no, but we didn't. For example, we have a commitment that we need to meet somebody right after work, but something comes up and we don't have the courage to tell our boss or our coworker that we need to leave. And so there we are, we're tapping our foot, we're looking at our watch, and we're not listening to where we are, and we're trying to figure out an excuse for where we need to be, when all we needed to do was have the courage to say, I'm happy to comply, but I need to leave at X time. And that's it. We don't owe an explanation. We don't owe anything, but we've set a boundary and then we're able to make our next commitment. So look for these opportunities. They happen all the time. We don't need to be rude when we do speak what we need. We can have a big smile and be as kind as we can be. And then nobody will have their feathers ruffled. But we are happy and they're happy. So my word of the week is line. The L is for lesson. How many times are we going to have to get ourselves into a jam before we start speaking up? Well, spoiler alert, we come first. Our self-care is vital. So we get to control our time and we get to control our commitments. And we can say, thank you, but no. These are very powerful words. The I is for improve. There's always, always, always room for improvement. That's the beauty of life. Learning that we will not change others, but we need to just meet them where they are. And when everybody knows that we have good self-care and we come first, and that we can't change them, but we can change ourselves. And tomorrow, it's a new day, and we can make it what we want. The N is for natural. If we practice setting boundaries, before we know it, it's going to be very, very natural for us. We will feel so much better. We'll feel lighter. We'll feel clearer. We won't be so stressed out. The days and our activities will flow and we'll be in alignment with ourselves and we can make the day what we want. And the E is for eager. If we have more time for what's important to us, we will be so eager to start our day. It will be our day planned as we want it to be. And so Practice setting our boundaries and see what great results you have. The Truth About Your Future is sponsored by Global X ETFs. With volatile fuel prices and growing concern about the environment, consumers are embracing alternatives. Should your portfolio do the same? At Global X ETFs, we specialize in investments that look beyond household names, providing access to companies in emerging areas like electric vehicles and lithium battery production. So whether you're interested in EVs, hydrogen fuel cells, or another green technology, there is a world of opportunity to explore. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to learn more. 
That's it for our program today. I'm Rick Edelman. See you Monday. Have a great weekend. The truth about your future with Rick Edelman has been brought to you by Global X ETFs, dedicated to providing investors with unexplored intelligent solutions, and by Invesco QQQ, a fund that allows you to access the innovators of the NASDAQ 100. Invesco.com slash QQQ. Get the truth about your future with Rick Edelman. It's the truth, AYF.com.